your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Wednesday, a wrong kind Wednesday, Lacrosse Talk PM. Congressman's going to join us here in about nine minutes. Talk about the social infrastructure plans and what the uh, just this just the messaging. I want to talk about like how, why it's so hard to get across the messaging in these plans. Uh, Ron is, I believe he's still in D.C. He's going to be part of a meeting tonight, though, with Brad Paff and Jill Billings and Steve Doyle and uh, talking about the needs of the black community. And that's going to be, let's see here, that's going to be at 6.30 p.m. at the Concordia Ballroom on the cross street. So if anyone wants to go to that, I don't know if you... I mean, there's uh, if you go to wisdomnews.com, there's a story there where it provides you with a link. I don't know how fast you can get on the, the meeting if you're trying to zoom in an hour beforehand. Um, and otherwise, if you show up at the Concordia Ballroom, if you can just get in, or do you have to pre-register? I'm not quite sure, but there's a phone number on there, so you could always call. But show up, talk to politicians on what they can do to help better serve the black community should be interesting. Um, and you don't have to go. You can zoom it in, zoom it in. Um, another thing we might talk about here later in the show after Ron leaves us, uh, this is uh, news today here. The, the county might buy the city's Chamber of Commerce headquarters and use that as a resource for the homeless population. Um, Brad's Brad's got a pretty good idea about what the plan is here. So Brad Williams in the newsroom wrote this story. If you want to do your homework, it's on wisdomnews.com before we talk about it. But, yeah, it's the idea of making that some kind of homeless headquarters per se, and it sounds like they want to use the parking lot to create and maybe build another structure for permanent housing there. Um. I don't know what permanent housing means per se. Is it permanent housing that somebody can just buy the house in the parking lot of the, that building? Or is it housing that homeless people can use periodically? Like, uh, you you know, you use this building, get back on your feet, and then you, once you're good to go, you can leave. And, you know, once you're able to live on your own. So... Hopefully, maybe Brad has those details. We can talk about that as well. Uh, with Congressman Kind, you know, obviously he's headed out. He's done after, uh, I think his first term was 1996, 13 terms in office. I just, I want to talk to him a little bit about what politics has devolved into from then to now. I, in 1996, I was a senior in high school. Yeah, senior in high school. So his, uh, it would be like me graduating and then just becoming a congressman, and now I'm going to retire. It's kind of funny. To th- I was thinking about that today. I was like, oh yeah, uh, he's his whole like my his whole term, his tenure in Congress has essentially been my my uh, adult life, so to speak. Right after high school, I mean, most of that I I spent uh, you know a year in high school and four years, four and a half years in college. So some of that still going to school, but. Uh, the whole time, didn't pay attention to any politics, uh, didn't care about that. Um, so, but it's kind of interesting to think about that. 
be, being in, in Congress that long and, and just what, what kind of things have changed. Um, I don't know how much time we're going to have, what else we could talk about, but uh, there's, there's the uh, analogy that Dr. Anthony Chagoski and I had at UW-Lacrosse when it comes to you know, the workforce situation in the country where uh, people are leaving jobs and want better jobs, right? Better paying jobs. They just want better conditions, everything. They kind of want everything better. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the dollar, the dollar tree analogy we had the other day and just that the dollar tree is going to go to a dollar 25 tree essentially. And, um, they're, they're, they're citing inflation for that. So they're blaming inflation, but you know, the, the company made $1.23 billion this year. So what, <laughs> how are you making $1.23 billion and also having to raise your prices? It just doesn't make, and then the, the CEO gets paid 10.7 million. I don't know what, what does Congress do about this when, when these companies are doing these things, definitely not helping out the workers, uh, the way they should do helping out, I guess their CEO, but you know, starting at the bottom and working up. So we can get into that. And then obviously the wrong kind lives on French Island. So the PIFA situation on French Island, uh, what are we going to do about that? What are we doing about that? There is a plan. There's a plan um, nationally. Joe Biden had a plan in place to kind of cover that. The Wisconsin state government, the Governor Evers had a plan for that, but we deleted that as a legislature run by Republicans, deleted that whole PFAS plan because, you know, whatever. Don't want, we don't want to spend money on on you guys on French Island and all over the state. Madison's devastated by PFAS. Eau Claire, devastated by PFAS. Uh, I believe Green Bay as well. Uh, wherever this firefighting foam has gotten into the groundwater and destroyed the environment and made water undrinkable. And then people on French Island have been drinking out of bottled water since January. It's going to be a year anniversary here in a month of people on French Island drinking out of bottled water. Just imagine every time you go to your faucet and then every time you like take a shower, brush your teeth. I don't know. I don't know if people on French Island are brushing their teeth with PIFA's water, but I would, I would really think twice about, uh, you know, maybe I just don't want to put this in my mouth at all because I might swallow some. So we'll get into all that stuff with Congressman Ron Kind. We're going to take a break. Brad's got to do the news. We'll be back in a minute. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk text line. Make it the text line if you want to text me. Got questions for Congressman Ron Kind. On his, on, you know, you're a year away, Ron. What, what the, do, you, do you think about that every day or a year away? No, what I think about is uh, I love the holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Uh, I like the, like the fact that the Packers are competitive and they're right in the thick of things right now, and the Bucks are defending world champs. So there's a lot to be grateful for right now. Sometimes we get overwhelmed with the bad news in front of our faces, this new COVID variant. You know, the economy's not firing on all cylinders the way we'd like to see it, but uh, there's also some good news here, too. Yeah, the you know this me, Brad and I have been talking about this the last couple of days. The, the 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 state doesn't seem to be getting the best news. Even the area, I guess, even with that Michigan school shooting the other day, yeah, and yeah. and our area seems to be in in terms of school threats. We've had we've had four in the area now, um, all in your district. There, Toma had one the other day now as well, yeah. I guess, but it seemed to be a hoax. But um, I don't know. Just the, it does feel quite negative, especially that the guy dri- plowing through the parade and just all this news coming out of Wisconsin seems a bit negative. 
Yeah, and last night the Wisconsin delegation met on the floor and asked for a moment of silence in, in memory of the victims of the Waukesha Christmas Parade uh, drive through uh, how tragic is that? You're taking a family to uh, to see a Christmas parade and something like that happens. And, and then you're right. There, there have been recent threats in the local school districts. Unfortunately, uh, we've had too many teachers and school administrators and school boards under threat because of health precautions that they're trying to take to not only protect our kids in the classroom, but the teachers and, and the adults that are around them in the school setting, too. So, Things are a little crazy right now, Rick, and, and obviously there's not much uh, positive coming out of the political atmosphere, too, whether it's in Washington or Madison these days. Yeah, what you know, this is the other thing we were pondering is, you know, you've been doing this since 1996. So basically my senior year of high school, you started in Congress, and now I'm a, <laughs> I feel like I'm an old man. I'm 43. And uh, this, so it got me thinking, I'm like, wow, Ron's been doing this the whole time of my almost working life. Uh, even yeah. though I went to college there for a while, but how has po- politics just devolved uh, over the you know over those twenty six twenty five years so far? Well, first of all, Rick, as somebody who was born and raised in Western Wisconsin, it's been the honor of my life to be able to represent my home area, the people I knew and I grew up with and I, I live with. But I never meant for it to be the honor of my entire life. So twenty six years is enough. I think this is the right time for me to be stepping down. And Tony and I are looking forward to the next chapter in our lives, but. We are going to remain in western Wisconsin. It's where we raised our family. It's home. It's, uh, uh, it's where our friends are. So we're not going anywhere. But undoubtedly, the political atmosphere is very rough right now. It's so polarized. It's so hyper-partisan. Uh, it's no longer good enough just to have honest disagreements and honest debates, passionate and with a lot of energy. Now, uh, each side feels the need to destroy the other side, you know, uh, not only politically but personally and a character assassination. I've never seen it this bad. We have members of Congress serving that are threatening the lives of other members of Congress, which is uh, mind-boggling uh, to me. And it's a very dangerous place for our democracy uh, to find itself. And we're going to need, I think, the goodwill of the American people to step up and start taking control. And that starts by who they decide to have represent them. Uh, you can send the, the flamethrowers and those who come to Washington to burn the place down. There are plenty of people willing to do that. But I think we need to find more pragmatic, reasonable, sensible people who aren't afraid to find common ground, who aren't afraid to compromise. Uh, I've been doing that my whole career. I'm proud of that fact. Um, but things are just so tribal right now in outlook that uh, I think we're in a dangerous place for our country. Um, getting to that, you know, hey, we got to elect people that aren't going to, quote-unquote, burn the place down. Uh, the Supreme Court said, the Wisconsin State Supreme Court said yesterday they're going to take up redistricting in in the state, which will affect your district, you know, as you leave, it's going to affect your district. And and Stevens Point is kind of right in the middle of this thing. The last, I guess, the last two times we've we've drawn Stevens Point just kind of gets kicked around. Um, they're they're going to uh, Republicans have drawn Stevens Point out of the third congressional district to give, uh, you know, I think maybe to give Republicans in this district a little bit better of a chance to win now that you're leaving. But um, what just what did you think of this with the state Supreme Court's decision there and then and then not not taking partisanship into the uh, equation? Well, listen, I've always been a strong advocate of nonpartisan commissions to draw the political map. It is wrong, fundamentally, to have the politicians choose their voters. It's supposed to be the other way around. And yet both parties, when they have complete control, are guilty of this. So it's all the more reason that we go to a nonpartisan commission route, like Iowa has, California, Oregon, Washington, those states that have done that. It seems to be working pretty well for them. And I think we need more balanced districts like my own. More the better, because... Uh, that way you don't have to just kowtow to the far right or the far left, depending on how that district is drawn. 
And unfortunately, my district is perhaps the only legitimate competitive district in the entire state. Uh, and that's a big problem with our democracy is the gerrymandering of districts where you get 70% Republican or Democratic district, and therefore those representatives feel that there's no need for them to reach across and find common ground and work with their colleagues on the other side of the aisle. And we're losing a lot when we can't do that. Get in the same room together, work uh, together, even though we're from different political parties. And that's kind of the outgrowth of these extreme gerrymandered districts that we're seeing in Wisconsin and, and throughout most of the other part of the country. Well, it sounds like the the state Supreme Court's not we're not going to come to any conclusion here on a nonpartisan way to draw these lines. It, it looks like we'd have to look 10 years down the road to figure that out. Well, maybe not, because the federal court might have a say in this as well. Obviously, the governor and the legislature are going to gridlock, and that's checks and balances. That's how it's supposed to work. You would hope that would force compromise on both sides, but I think it's going to go through the judicial route, and there's a court pending, case pending in the federal court. So it may not ultimately end up in the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And the federal court will have to look at the Civil Rights Act, making sure that no one's being disenfranchised with their vote on how the political map is drawn. So this gets a little bit complicated, but to me the answer was always obvious. It's the nonpartisan commission route, and uh, do it that way so that you could, there's at least one layer of removal from politicians' hands, uh, which I think is the right thing to do. Um, all right, moving on. The, the, I, I talked about redistricting all day yesterday. So I and <laughs> I know it's, it's like the most important thing, and it's really, I, I think, interesting to try to dive down, but uh, you only got so much time. Um, obviously, we have two infrastructure deals trying to go through. Well, one was signed, right? And we have yeah, the social yeah. infrastructure deal going through Congress. Why is it so hard to portray what's in these bills and, and talk about, like, because these things like literally benefit people. Like the most, the most obvious of things. Like, hey, we're gonna get, uh, you know, paid medical leave, stuff like that, or uh, you know, sick leave, whatever, uh, worked into these bills, or maybe we're worked out of these bills at some point. Um, where we just talk about this price tag, but we never, you know, if you look at the Pentagon price tag, it's double what these infrastructure bills are. I just don't understand oh, yeah. how how we we don't like we never break down the Pentagon budget and say, hey, why are we doing this? <laughs> Well, we should, and I've been very critical of certain aspects of defense spending, where there's a lot of redundancy and outdated weapons programs that we can never seem to get rid of, even though our own Pentagon leaders are saying we don't want them anymore. You know, give me a day and we can talk about the Pentagon budget. But, Rick, the infrastructure bill was bipartisan. We had 19 Republican senators that supported it, including Mitch McConnell. That's because it should be really a nonpartisan issue. We need good roads, highways, bridges ports, airports. We need more funding to close the digital divide, broadband. All that is in this bipartisan infrastructure bill. But what was really astounding to me is we only had 13 Republican colleagues in the House who voted for it, even though it passed overwhelmingly in the Senate. And those 13 Republicans are under assault by their own party members for supporting a basic infrastructure bill to lay the groundwork for long-term economic growth with the good-paying jobs that will come from it. And it shouldn't have been that way. And yet that just gives you another indication of how toxic the political arena is right now. We've got Republicans turning on Republicans who supported what was an overwhelming bipartisan bill coming out of the Senate to rebuild our infrastructure, to stay competitive with China and the rest of the world. Yeah, do it. Uh, and I don't, I don't get that. But the other aspect that you did raise well, is I'll, Build I'll, Back Better plan, and that's harder to reach consensus on right now. But what that is, is, is it, there's programs in it to make it easier for people to participate in the workforce. Right now, there are barriers like affordable quality child care, like paid family medical leave. It's making it hard for people to participate in the workforce. And Build Back Better addresses that, including the expansion of the child tax credit, which now is lifting half of the children out of poverty 
in our country, which is an astounding achievement. And we would continue that under the Build Back Better plan. And again, this is something that should receive wide bipartisan support because the number one complaint I hear from businesses, large and small back home, is where are the workers? We want to hire them up. We have more jobs than people willing to fill these positions. And, and a large part of that are just it's hard for people to participate in the workforce because of these other obligations that they have. And Build Back Better would address that and I think go a long ways to, to getting our economy heading in the right direction again. Well, you talk about it'll lift half our children out of poverty. The bigger question is, why are so many children in poverty? You know, we should we should be lifting all the children out of poverty. Um, but yeah, there's there's so many things in this in this bill. But we always just talk about the overall price tag, and the price tag is like ten years over ten years. So it's never it just year by yeah. year where we do the Pentagon budget. You know, usually year by year. And it sounds like we wanted to add billions to the Pentagon budget just lately. Why why are we trying to add billions to the Pentagon budget as we get out of Afghanistan? It seems like counterintuitive there. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we're long overdue for force restructuring. Obviously, there's a rise of China that has a lot of people concerned, myself included. They've been very aggressive in their sphere in the South China Sea, for instance, with Taiwan. Uh, and we want to make sure that there's an effective check on whatever ambitions they might have. But uh, we have to be smarter in where those dollars are being allocated and how they're being used. Again, I mentioned these outdated weapons programs that were better suited for the Cold War of the 1950s rather than the high-tech capability that we have right now. But it's virtually impossible to get rid of them because that's someone's factory and jobs in someone's congressional district or state, and therefore there's political resistance to changing any of it. So the answer is throw more money at the Pentagon and just continue these old programs that even our military leaders are saying they don't want anymore. They don't need it. It doesn't help with force readiness. So there's substantial savings that we could find in the Pentagon budget without reducing force readiness or our security demands throughout the globe. And and I've said, too, there's savings in the farm bill. I've been one of the biggest critics of these huge taxpayer subsidies going to big agribusiness. But guess what? Agribusiness hires their legion of lobbyists in Washington. So every time a farm bill comes up, more money subsidies are funneled to these big agribusinesses. And that hurts our family farmers back home because they have to compete uh, against uh, all of that. So, yeah, there are cost savings in the overall federal budget that can be used to pay for uh, child tax credit. So we are lifting kids out of poverty or make it easier for people to find affordable, quality child care so they can reenter the workforce and fill these jobs that, that are available right now. We just need to be smarter about it. Yeah, the social infrastructure bill seems like a no-brainer. That I feel like that one should have passed. I mean, coming from the guy that could talk about fix the roads every day on this show because everybody gets upset about Lacrosse Street, even though that's in the plan <laughs> to be fixed next year. Um, right. But yeah, it's just like that. The provisions in the social infrastructure bill just seem like no-brainers. That everyone should be on board with that. Um, not how we're going to pay for it because we never talk about how we're going to pay for the other things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and once more, the infrastructure bill was completely paid for through offsets that we found. Build Back Better is being completely paid for. So all this talk about deficit and, and, and debt exploding is just not the, the truth of what's going on around here. And I know, uh, in all fairness, my Republican colleagues are not fond of paying for things. They passed a, a tax bill that cost $2.4 trillion, and none of it was offset. And 83% of the benefit of that bill just a couple years ago went to multinational corporations with huge, with huge tax relief and to the wealthiest 1%, 83%. And they didn't pay for a nickel, and it drove up our, our deficits. And now they claim to be the party of fiscal responsibility. It, it's almost laughable if people knew the truth of what was going on here. 
But I think it is important investment that we're making in our future, the Build Back Better plan, coupled with the infrastructure uh, bill that the president just signed in, because uh, the jobs are out there and they're being created uh, right now, which is good news. But it's hard for certain people to get back into that workforce for the reasons we just talked about, and Build Back Better addresses a lot of those concerns. And one of the biggest challenges we face, Rick, in the future, it's demographics. It's basic math. We have a declining birth rate. We have 70 million baby boomers beginning their massive retirement. We have a messed up immigration policy. Where are the workers going to come from for us to hit our growth targets? Uh, it's, it's going to be difficult under the best circumstances, uh, and that's why we've got to make it easy for people to participate in the workforce without uh, neglecting the, any family obligations that they have at the same time. I know you got to get out of here, but uh, you got a you got a town hall to, to to get to. I think you're zooming in, but yeah. in um, you you have a residence on French Island. I don't know if you're on a private well or if your private well is contaminated by PFAS, but we're almost on the year anniversary of people on French Island having to drink bottled water. And I don't know. Do you know if people on French Island have to use bottled water to like simple things like brush their teeth? Yeah, you know, Culligan's been great. They've been supplying the water, but that's not a long-term answer. I've been trying to get people together to develop a long-term strategy or plan on how to address PFAS. And people should have a fundamental right of clean quality drinking water for themselves and their children. And they don't have that right now with PFAS contamination. We're long past due of establishing PFAS standards at the state and federal level. And why the legislature in Wisconsin is resisting this is beyond me, because we're talking about people's lives and health and potential of cancer spreading because of PFAS uh, exposure. But I worked hard under the American Rescue Plan to make sure that the money being given to states and, and local governments that can, that can be used to address the PFAS cleanup and the PFAS issue. So there's money in the pipeline. We need a plan now to uh, deploy it and fix this once and for all so people don't have to rely on Culligan for their, for their water needs. I don't know if you, you know, when you're done next year with your, your term and your career in Congress, if you're going to move back to French Island and, and then be on bottled water, but... Um, is, so I'm there right now, Rick. I mean, that's my home on French Island, and yes, we are using Culligan water. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, and Biden administration put out a three-year plan, but a three-year plan doesn't really solve it. Is the, is the plan, do you think, do you like the plan of just hooking up with La Crosse's water and, and just having, having like, the state or the feds pay for that? Or, is there, or, or are people apprehensive about that because they want their wells? Well, listen, I think it is hard to convince people who invested in a private well to, to give that up and to get hooked up into a water system where they'll have to pay monthly rates uh, for their water needs. But... Uh, uh, you know, we, need, we do need that plan, and what I'm saying is that through the American Rescue Plan, the money's there. I mean, for the state and for the city and for the county and the township, if they want to tap into those funds, they can do that. So money shouldn't be holding us back now and coming up with a plan to fix this. And if we don't, people's health will be in jeopardy, their property values will decline, it may become impossible well, what, for people on the island to sell their homes because of the PFAS contamination. What, what plan do you like? What, I mean, you live there, so like, hey, this is the plan I kind of into. Well, you know, I do have a private well, but I think if we can guarantee clean, safe, quality water through a, a, a utility system, we're going to have to take a look at that, because that may ultimately be the answer, because we're not going to be able to extract that PFAS from these private wells. Uh, they are a forever chemical, uh, and you're not just going to get rid of it that way. So unless people are content of just living with Culligan in their lives every day, I think we're going to need some, some water system hookup, uh, ultimately.
So when you are you taking a shower, are you just holding the bottle over your head when you're showering? <laughs> no, I'm just. Kidding. Well, I just jump into Lake Onalaska. You know, I, I do mean, that uh, James Bond shower, just real cold, <laughs> hop in and out. I'm good for the day. And I, I make a joke, but man, I really like I, I my well turned off one day, and I was like, man, this is. And then I thought, wow, this is what people on French Island have been doing for a year. So it really just it's kind of <laughs> it just gets, puts it in perspective. And I don't mean to joke about it, but I, I just feel like it needs to be done already. Yeah, it's a serious issue, and it's not just us in western Wisconsin. It's uh, Pesticos, northeastern Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin, many, many, many areas around the, the country. And I've just introduced the legislation that would prohibit PFAS chemicals for fire retardant foam, which is one of the causes of spreading and contaminating water systems. But we also need uh, health standards established at the state and federal level, uh, much better than what exists right now. And that should not be a point of contention. This is about saving people's lives, ultimately. All right. I'll let you get your, to your town hall. Thanks a lot, Ron. All right. Thanks, Rick. Take care. Bye. All right. That was Congressman Ron Kind. Stolen for an extra five minutes. We'll be back. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914. Just wrapped up with Congressman Ron Kind. I see a couple of texts here I can get to in a little bit here. Brad Williams sitting in with me in the studio. We're, we're discussing the... The, the the city's plan, the county's plan. They are kind both, of both involved. And and buying the Chamber of Commerce building or old, this is what old they, Chamber of this Commerce. This is the building. current Chamber of Commerce. Oh, they're still is working still in there. there. Okay. It's, they um, they wouldn't leave unless they need to leave. Okay, so they're as far as I they've know. put the for sale sign up and if somebody makes the right offer, they're out. Maybe that, that could be. Yeah, yeah. but the, the way it was explained to me by Jane Clay Camp, who is uh, associate county administrator, is that at this point the uh, the chamber is staying where it is in that old bank building across from City Hall, mm-hmm. and uh, but but they are considering leaving because that's why the for sale sign is out there. Yeah, but and then- but mo- most likely they're waiting to see whether the county and the city are going to buy that building in order to. Uh, I'm I'm looking at the. Uh, slideshow that they did during this was during a meeting a uh, joint meeting very of the early executive meeting co- today 7 30 this morning the county executive committee and the city executive committee met and uh, they heard from jane clay camp and mayor mitch reynolds and this is uh, a program on breaking the cycle of homelessness uh, the american rescue plan act provides a once in a generation opportunity it says here to break the cycle of chronic homelessness uh, and they had certain stats that 160 adults on the list at the end of October, were on a prioritization list uh, to find to find them shelter. 100 went to the Econo Lodge, 30 to the Salvation Army, 30 to Catholic Charities Warming Center. But there are also 56 homeless families and 80 students homeless in the La Crosse School District. So they have various goals. And uh, what they're looking at is taking what used to be the Associated Bank, 7th and La Crosse Street, which is now the Chamber of Commerce office, and they would put... Uh, whatever they decide to uh, do as a joint uh, project for battling homelessness, they would have the offices in the bank building. There's this big parking lot outside the bank building. That's where they would want to put some... Well, you keep calling it the bank building. It's the Chamber it's of the Commerce. It's the Chamber building. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. There's Living in the past, right? Yes, yeah, but they the have chamber a... Chamber building. Yeah. And, and the idea is they would put housing, which would... Uh, 
be long term building, certainly, but so instead uh, but of a, only only temporary, you know, they, it would be the sort of thing instead of taking them to a, a hotel. Right. That's what I was. Thinking. This is the place they would take them. So but they can't build it this year. They they might have something ready next year if that's what they want to do for next winter. But that's what they're talking about right now. Yeah, down the road here, build some kind of permanent structure so that we're not renting out the Acana Lodge. Right. Therefore, the Acana Lodge can rent out to people who need to stay at a hotel right. temporarily. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. It's just another, it's kind of a gigantic, that's kind of a gigantic plan. We're going to take on uh, running a shelter, essentially. It's a gigantic problem. Yeah, for sure. 160 people, you said? 160 people. And then plus, at, at because the, at, it seemed like plus, because you well, mentioned students. Well, and, well, I mean, I think the the students uh the students and the families are part of that okay. whole group. So, but that's but that's a concern of theirs that there there shouldn't be that many homeless people or families in the school district. That's more than they want to have. So they're trying to help them. Well, I always go back time. to the stat that they had at the school board meeting maybe two meetings ago, where they talked about fifty two percent of uh, right. students in the, in the district are level. in the poverty level. Yeah. So we we definitely have we talk about with we just talked about with Ron kind the social infrastructure plan kind of helping pe- build. You know, get these people out of this right. situation, and this is a perfect example. We have 160 people in town that are unsheltered, and then 80 of those. Did, it, did you say 80 of those are students? Or, no, or no, out, out of the they're just, slide just taking specifically 80 students and 56 homeless families, and they didn't break down how many of these would, were included in the 160. Okay. So the numbers are a little hard to gauge at this but, point. But there are different numbers that they're looking at. But it sounds like we have 160 people without yeah. homes right now. Right, who are, who are now in other shelters for the winter. I wonder who wins the lottery to get... Because I feel like I'd want to live in the motel versus maybe... But I guess yeah, there's well, uh, there's probably other... Mostly it was the Huska Park people. Uh, I, I think perhaps at the Salvation Army or Catholic Charities, it might have been through other ways. But I, I think primarily it was... Whoever was at Huska Park ended up at the the motel. So, okay. well, it is funny. Yeah, I mean, just we want to build this thing, uh, kind of down the road. We're talking about a public market. We want to build in right. there. Yeah. Uh, where else are we? Where else are we talking about building? Fire departments. Fire we're trying to build we what were, four uh, fire departments. We we have two firehouses that are being remodeled. Yeah. We have two other ones that would new ones that would be built to replace the other two that are being used now. Then there's a fifth one way at the south end of town that they would like to build because there's a demand down there. Yeah, and then, you know, we talked about talked with Ken Gilliam about this too, and it, it wasn't an idea he loved, but when we, when we talk about building a new firehouse, hey, why don't we include a homeless shelter within that? And, you know, at the, you know, at the bottom stages of that building could be a fire department. At the top stages of that building could be homeless shelter. I, you know, I, I just like combine these plans somehow. I, I'm brainstorming, Brad. Should right. I get in on the council meetings and tell them? Uh, you could. <laughs> I, so, and I'm looking at some more of the, uh, the numbers uh, associated with this chamber plan. The cost would be just over $2 million. Uh, 1.6 acre lot, which this is including the building that's there now and the parking lot. Uh, the building that exists now would be county and non-profit support staff. Parking lot use is where they would build the bridge housing, which is a, a, a term that may become more familiar. Yeah. That as a bridge, and specifically, uh, this is efficiency apartments. They're not going to build fancy apartments. It's it's efficiency that they aren't going to stay there too long. The yeah, they're going to bridge and them. Especially the the bridge is that this is between being out on the street. And being in your own housing, yeah, bridge is like for 
people who have mental health problems, if they have addiction, you know, if, oh, if there okay. is some complication that is perhaps leading to the reason that they're homeless. Right. Can't we just put them in the chamber building? We got, and then well, across could, the road, across it, the road could be the administration in the city. It, yeah, there's got to be room in city hall somewhere. There'll be an old office they, we can they, use. They're, they're still fixing up city hall. You know, that's why they're having all the meetings on the south side. But, uh, well, that's one thing that could come out of the discussions. They've This uh, meeting they had today was as a result of some task force meetings that have been talking about. And this is what is being presented to the county board. They're going to introduce this officially to the county board next week and uh, possibly city council next week, although city council it might wait till January for that matter. But, so uh, it is possible in 2022 we could, be remo- we could be redoing La Crosse Street right there, right? Yes. We could be building a, a structure for homelessness we could. in the chamber building parking lot. That's right. And is there a fire department going on that street? No. Fire department. Isn't it by uh, UWL somewhere? It's, it's by UWL basically uh, across the street from Oak Grove Cemetery. Okay, so it's up the road. It's on yeah. that street though, right? Right. And then also, why don't we just put a roundabout right there, uh, right downtown? <laughs> They're putting roundabouts other place. They, they've got three planned for South Avenue. We should so, do a Lacrosse Street, <laughs> yeah, Third could, Street roundabout. Could put everything. Yeah. Eventually, there's going to be roundabouts every other block. So yeah. What do Brad, you do? do you like roundabouts? No. No, he doesn't. Brad. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I use them. They always talk about. Well, you'll come to like them. Well, I don't know that it's you come to like them is that you get used to them. Yeah. I, do, I don't well, like we're it because tear- Prairie du Chien, my hometown. Put in three roundabouts, three blocks in a row on Marquette Road, which is Highway 35 going north and south. They, they put one at one of the busiest intersections in town, which used to be called well, how the, busy is the Prairie Four Sheen? Corners. Is it get pretty busy? It used to be the bu- busiest intersection in town was the crossing of Highway 35 and Highway 27, especially when that was how you would get on the bridge to Iowa. You don't get that way anymore. But the, you have the, the Four Corners and then the next two streets down are the bridge entrance and the bridge exit yeah. to go to Iowa. And all three of those now have roundabouts. Not but, the greatest plan. But, I mean, I, I wouldn't have done it that way. But w- the, Would the you have liked the DOT, one roundabout? One roundabout would have been okay. But state DOT says, this is what you're going to do. We're the state, and here's what you're going to do. Rush hour and PDC. So I don't, know if, I don't know if people in Prairie like the roundabouts or they're just gotten used to What's them. rush hour like, though, in Prairie du Chien? It, well, uh, <laughs> Prairie du Chien is 6,000 people. That's what rush hour is like. Yeah. Um, all right, Brad, are you good? We I'm good? We covered yes. it? All right, thanks. All I right. appreciate you coming on. Um, all right, if you want to read about that, if you want to comment on it, Brad Williams got the story. Uh, look for the chamber building there on wisdomnews.com. Yeah, as long as we're tearing up, if we're going to, you know, if this building plan went through and the city bought, or the city and the county, I guess, maybe go go team up and, and buy this chamber building and then they're going to tear the parking lot up and put a put a homeless uh, maybe a, some kind of permanent structure to help homeless people there. Uh, sounds like maybe I don't know if that would be the bridge housing or just housing there. In my head, bridge housing was just like you're homeless, you live in temporary housing for, for a little bit until you get on your feet and then you move on to permanent housing that you own yourself when, you, when you're back to, to normal. So you're back to being able to, to fend for yourself, so to speak, I don't know how to put it, um, but but while we're tearing while we're tearing all that stuff up, if we're going to tear up Lacrosse Street, if we're going to tear up the, the the chamber building, 
we might as well, number three, we might as well put a roundabout at that gigantic intersection right there by the chamber building uh, just coming into downtown. What do you think? Oh, definitely, because it's, it's going to be a very busy intersection. It is already. I mean, there's it, it's got a turn light at every, every you know, left turn arrows every every cycle. And yeah. it's really big already. I think I, I wouldn't. I actually wouldn't mind a roundabout. I know you you hate roundabouts, but would you mind a roundabout right there at this on the north end of downtown? I don't bother me one bit because I never go down there anyway. <laughs> okay, well you're just out of the loop. Then. Um, it's going to be a very busy place. I know that, but the way the stock market's going, I might have to move down there. Well, I don't know. I don't know how. What? How are you combining those things? You're going to move down. Oh, you're because is the stock market not going great? Is that what the hell on a handbasket? Oh, you got a lot of stocks. I don't even know what stocks are really. Sit tight on my American can, hold my water, and let my gas go. Okay. Um, well, the issue is going to touch new bottoms, and thousands are going to be wiped clean. <laughs> Okay, I got to take a break. Thanks for the call, number three. Uh, We'll be back. Forgot it was December 1st. It was like, oh, yeah, Christmas music. But it just doesn't seem like Christmas when there's not snow on the ground. It rained last night. Awful was that. Just a beautiful December rain. Hey, climate change. Slowly. It's just creeping up on us slowly. Before you know it, it'll be... Uh, we won't get any snow, and Rudolph won't be able to pull a sleigh. Santa will be on a, I don't know, four-wheeler something. He won't even need reindeer. Uh, just talking, thanks again to Ron Kine and Brad for joining here. Um, talk about that so- social infrastructure bill. Uh, one of the texters says, does any Democrat think people should have personal responsibility for any aspect of their life? Why should I pay for someone's kid to go to child care I made a choice to work outside the home when my child was young, and also I knew I would pay for the child. I think uh, if you uh, thank you for doing that, making a sacrifice of not seeing your kid and going to work, I think a lot of families now, both parents have to go to work. They have to, it's that or they don't get by. And so, how do you, what do you do with your kid? You can drop him off at the Y. You can't do that all the time. Um, and just and so, you know, it's great that some parents have made that sacrifice and they don't get to see their child, but why would you wish that on anyone else? Why would we wish that on any parent? Hey, if I couldn't see my kid when I was a parent because I had to go to work, why should you get to see your kid? <laughs> this is this is what we should be doing as a society is is you know, being able to uh, you know, let families stick together a little bit longer, not have to have everyone at 50-hour work weeks, not seeing the light of day all day. It's dark right now. I'm still at work. <laughs> I mean, how many people are driving home right now? Well, I got to work when it was dark, and now I'm going home, and it's dark again. I'm is 6